0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salton Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will go up to the Salton Light Attic and bring down some of our favorite conversations from early 2015. First, we speak with Deacon James Keating about what it really means to be a deacon, and singer songwriter Matthias Michael has a new single, Song of Grace. In our second half hour, we speak with Father Nauras Samur about the church in Syria, and we meet the Leahis. We begin now with the heart of the diaconate. I'm embarrassed to say that even among deacons, the diaconate remains a bit of a mystery. We are clergy, but we're not priests. Most of us are also called to the vocation of marriage, but also to the ordained life people also seem to be confused are are we glorified altar servers are we mini priests are we priest or bishop helpers there's confusion so it was good for me to read deacon James Keating's newest book The Heart of the Diaconate and it's really good that he joins us now on the line from Omaha Nebraska deacon James welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour
1: Thank you deacon
0: So why do you think there's so why do you think there's so much confusion about the diaconate
1: Well well, part of it is a positive answer in that we really are participating in a mystery okay. uh, we are we are participating in the actions of Christ that he has uh left to the church in his spirit by way of holy order so the the very fact that we are somehow offering our bodies to Christ so that he can continue his ministry in them that's a that's a pretty big mystery so we shouldn't really beat ourselves up too much that we don't have a a clear and mathematical grasp on what he's called us into. The other reason it might be some um, confusion, even in priests and deacons' own uh, minds about the diaconate, is that it has been reduced, or was reduced, I think we're coming out of that Mm -hmm. time, but it was reduced to a practical uh, office of action. And so, more so than marriage, more so than the priesthood, Uh, when the permanent diaconate was reestablished, it kept getting defined by what deacons do. And this has always been sort of an albatross around the neck of a deacon, because in doing that, what what the Church does, or what people who want to impose that identity on the deacon do, is they make the man just kind of scramble around and continue in the frenetic Western pace of masculinity, which is to simply achieve. Mm -hmm. And also what it does is it really crams up the imagination of a man, because as you're wondering, why am I attracted to Christ in this way of service and being sent from the bishop to those in need, well, then I get a list from the chancery that tells me these are the things I do. Yeah. And it really it just shuts down the imagination when the deacon is really ordained to be sent from the bishop in his permanent availability to the servant mysteries of Christ, which are undefined. They are discerned by every age and they are discerned by every diocese. Okay, let me so s- what what the the actions of the deacon should be.
0: Yeah, let me stop you right there because I mean you've said a lot. Uh, but so okay, so and and I'm glad you said what you said because I was going to say so what are the servant mysteries of Christ? So you're saying that that they can they they're undetermined.
1: Undetermined. Now, of course there there's there's a direction in the scripture. So I mean the obvious one is the the foot washing yes. scene in the in the last supper but from there i mean even the the story of the good samaritan is mm-hmm. diaconal yeah. as a, as we pour you know the gospel into the wounds of people but w- what is the pouring look like and what are the wounds that we're pouring it into this is wide open in terms of the discernment that a bishop has for the real needs of his uh, deacons
0: so it, it, it is part of the problem that our dioceses are so Big. I mean, I'm in a huge archdiocese. We got three auxiliary bishops, and because I can, I can imagine how uh, originally a bishop or, or the apostles, you know, could have been. It would have been very specific. Look, this is what we're doing, and the deacons are out there, and the deacons, like, I can't go and feed the orphans and the widows. Can can you do that for me? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, right. I mean, a lot of it is. It is the extension of the archbishop or the bishop's ministry. Uh, the the deacon is. Given the book of the Gospels from the bishop at ordination, yeah. and basically he's saying to the man, uh, "Where my ministry has yet to reach, you go reach it for me."
0: Right. So, so we should be working closer with the bishop,
1: is and his imagination and his and his pastoral vision, his pastoral imagination. Right. So, for example, I, I right. knew one bishop uh, uh, or one, uh, yeah, one bishop and one deacon who collaborated and. Uh, The deacon saw a need. He was on the Internet. There were a lot of chat rooms about Catholicism. There were a lot of errors and uh, misunderstandings about Catholicism. He talked with his bishop. His ministry today is he surfs the Internet looking for chat rooms about Catholicism. He enters into conversation and helps to bring the truth to them. And that's his ministry as a deacon. Interesting. And who would think of that on your ordination no.
0: day? Yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, now, but okay. So when you present it that way, that's not confusing at all. It actually makes perfect sense and it's very practical. But you also talk about attention. Uh, that there's a tension, or a, a you, I, you use the word tension. I'd like to use the word balance. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's exactly the same thing. But why? Why is there attention, and why should there be attention?
1: Now, um, when you say balance, uh, maybe I want to say creative tension, which may okay. be the, yeah. uh, the positive thing that you're trying to draw out. And are you talking about the tension between, like, a cleric living a lay life? Yes. Okay. Well, in that one, I think this is the great gift of the diaconate for the modern age, actually, because, um, you know, it, as as people were sort of, you know, floating around and trying to figure out what a deacon is in the early part of the last 50 years, some men... Uh, kind of aligned themselves more closely with priests, and therefore they took on clerical um, trappings. And then other men kind of rebelled against it and got deeper and deeper into the lay world. Yeah. In other words, what they did is they relaxed the tension. And I think the only way to be a deacon is to keep the tension uh, alive, and I call it the creative tension, between a cleric living a lay life. And what that means is, is that we cling very tightly to the altar as the source of our interiority and the source of our our ministry our communion with the trinity sends us then sends us into the secular world as an emissary of the mystery of christ and the bishop's ministry and we get embedded in the secular world that's why it's so powerful that uh, deacons are still plumbers or they're lawyers because uh the move to try and make deacons like full-time employees of the church I think, would evacuate the diaconal charism immediately. Uh-huh, the power yes. of the diaconate is that the sacred comes from the altar in symbolic form, buries itself in the secular, and aligns itself as a helpful, uh, as a helpful grace so that the laity can have resources right there in the next cubicle. Yeah. There's a man struggling with his marriage, and right next door in the next cubicle in the accounting office is a deacon yeah. who can very prudently subtly give him counsel pray for him pray with him so the deacon the sacred uh, the min- the ministry of jesus's own service from the altar then as an emissary as a spy if you will mm-hmm. hidden in the secular world that's the tension we have to keep
0: and so so how is a deacon doing that different than just a isn't that what every catholic should be doing
1: the grace of ordination is um, objectively different and unique mm-hmm. from the grace of baptism. Yeah. Because the grace of ordination configures the man to the specific activities of Christ's servant heart. So he is actually... If his prayer life is lively and if he's drawing from the objective activity, the objective reality of his own ordination, Mm -hmm. he is configured to this mystery in a way that lay people aren't. Something real happened to a deacon on his ordination, and what's real is he became permanently available to these servant mysteries of Christ. And that's his unique grace that he brings. Can lay people pray with each other? Of course, out of the grace of their baptism. Yes. But we are established in a different font. And so, therefore, Christ is configuring us, according to his heart, as a servant who wants to pour the gospel in the pain of people that are near to us. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the diaconate uh, would not exist. There has to be this specific configuring of the man to Christ.
0: Absolutely. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. It wouldn't be ordination. Um, So, what... Oh, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> and not enough time. So this book, is is, is this book just for deacons? Who would this book before?
1: I, you know, I would love priests to read it. Yes. Maybe even more than deacons. Because yes. one of the things that we have to, and I'm hoping the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully in this way, but we have to reestablish the diaconal identity in the seminaries. Yes. Because what happens to so many seminarians yes. is they, they come up to diaconate it's a section of a sacramental theology course, and then they begin to think of diaconate as, "Well, this will be good because I'll get to preach, I'll get to wear vestments, and I've got to really think hard about celibacy.
0: Yes,
2: and
1: it becomes this pragmatic time in seminary formation where they're actually thinking of, "I've got some practice, and then I really got to you know believe that I'm called to celibacy." But the whole diaconal mystery, the whole grace of, of Christ sharing his uh, servant mysteries with us, it's, it's not really even broached. And so when a man becomes a deacon, he's already looking forward to being a priest. Yes. And so the diaconal imagination in the seminary is very anemic, and I would love for priests and seminary formators to read this book as well. I think there should be a new revolution of uh, the dignity of the diaconate uh, in the seminary itself.
0: Yeah, okay, good. There's good advice. I'm sure there's some priest listening, and and somebody in the seminary listening. So um, th- this is very good. Um, we're going to have to leave it there. But I, I, I mean, of course, I'm a deacon, so I I, I read this, and and it's so interesting, and I'm going to pass it on to anybody that's doing diaconate formation that I know. But uh, um, and and pastors, uh, maybe one last thing, Deacon James, what? I think you've alluded to this already, but what, what do you think or where do you think the diaconate is going or what do you think is the future for the diaconate? I think
1: the 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 diaconate, if it's going to be lively in the future, has to be younger. Uh-huh. Has to be more imaginative regarding uh ministry. Yes. And has to be more mystical. Oh, younger. Love it. Imaginative and mystical.
0: Good. That's good. Three words, just like Pope Francis. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Good. I'm youthful. I don't know if I'm mystical, but I'd like to think I'm imaginative. Don't be afraid of the mystical. (laughs) Yes, It's
1: just just deepening intimacy with the Trinity. Yes,
0: I love it. I love it. This is so good. Thank you so much for doing what you do, for writing the book, and for sharing uh, a little bit about it with us today.
1: Thank you for having me on, Pedro. I appreciate it.
0: Deacon James Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation at Creighton University. His latest book, the Heart of the Diaconate, Communion with the Servant Mysteries of Christ is published by Paulist Press. You can learn more about Deacon James Keating's work at priestlyformation.org. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, the Leahys with A Love Never Known from their album, Lakefield.
2: A love never Something from my eyes I can't erase Tears keep falling
0: was Leahy with A Love Never Known from their album, Lakefield. I first heard that song when I booked Canadian folk group Leahy to play at World Youth Day 2002 in Toronto some 13 years ago. The Leahy family has been performing since the family was even complete. There are 11 brothers and sisters, and when I met them, nine of them performed under the banner Leahy. Over the years, as siblings come and go and pursue other interests and start their own families, they have performed under different configurations. And now they are back with a new project, The Leahys In Song. And here is an excerpt of a conversation I had earlier this week with three of the Lahey sisters, Denise, Maria, and Erin. So you grew up on a farm, no TV, mm-hmm. 11 brothers and sisters at some point there were 11 of you. (laughs) Maria, what was it like growing up in the Leahy family?
3: Uh, It was great. It was exciting. It it was. It was (laughs) exciting. It was stimulating. It was busy. (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, there was always a lot going on. And uh, of course, we were playing a lot of music. We played a lot of sports. Um, We grew up on a farm. And so So did you have to work?
0: Do you have chores on the farm?
3: Working was, yeah, that was a big deal. Like, every day there was work to do. Uh, the boys, the guys, you know, spent a lot of time outside on the farm, but the girls did Absolutely. things as well. Did you have to oh. go and milk, milk,
4: No, no
3: we, not we, like milking the no,
5: cattle farm. No, that wasn't our type of farm. We were beef cattle Okay, farm. okay. Um, but, oh, girls, guys, every pair of hands had a job to do.
0: Okay. And so music, I mean, obviously it was a musical household. Um, your parents are musicians, I, I presume. Yes were they professional musicians or just kinda like Denise? Were they? Yeah,
5: no they were. It's actually quite interesting because were they professional mu- musicians? Yeah. They did music their whole li- lives and like it started for them as well as young people in their families. What did you do for social? You played music whether it was through your community or church okay. or whatever. Yeah. When mom and dad got married they carried on and they had their band, their orchestra that they played constantly and this is when we were little ones coming along Mm -hmm. mom and dad were always out and playing so it was just the 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 way it was it was the environment did you have
0: to did you have to do piano lessons and like was that part of the you you ought to go to school and and study math so you better study music too (laughs) it
3: it wasn't that way so much Um, mom and dad created a musical environment so we grew up you know listening to music and knowing music before we started to take lessons. Um, and so there was probably an interest and curiosity that was fostered before the lessons started. Right. But then mom and dad, yes, they, they encouraged us to, to take lessons yeah. and set lessons up. And so eventually, yes, we did take lessons.
0: So Erin and your parents, so what do they they play?
3: Mom plays piano, yeah. and she was a singer, she is a singer, and step dancer, and dad plays fiddle.
0: Lots of music in the house, um, also lots of faith. Denise, can you tell me what, what it was like in oh, terms absolutely. of faith? absolutely.
5: And you know, it's interesting to reflect on that now as an adult, as a parent, I know myself now, in that our faith was uh, just always so present and always there, even though sometimes as kids you weren't always paying attention in the sense. Um, Our uncle Father Leo, my dad's brother, was a priest, priest. yes, and uh, he's passed away now, but from a very young age, he was like part of the family. We were always close by. And the amount of time we spent with Father Leo was just, um, I'm so grateful for. Yeah. Um, With mom and dad, the faith was the most important thing in the house, but it wasn't uh, like, it, it was just the layers were there. The depth was there, the prayer was there. And I just can't imagine our lives today, like especially with the industry that we're in and whatnot. Without that,
0: so oh. but so so it sounds like what you're saying is that it was just normal.
5: Oh, very mm-hmm. normal. It was
0: normal, and but not just going to church on Sunday. It was sort of day to day.
5: But 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 faith being in normal things and not normal things, there is no de- separation. Yeah, yeah. You if you're on a soccer team, you approach it with decency and faith. Yeah, your faith um, forms your attitude toward playing soccer. Your faith forms your attitude toward going right. out for pizza with people. Right. Your faith forms and it is the foundation how you handle whatever your situation is in life that you find yourself in. And I know for us mom and dad didn't tuck us away to only be in certain situations. Uh-huh. They exposed us to the world and whatever came to us we had, I thank God, the tools to handle whatever came.
0: Interesting. Okay, you weren't homeschooled were you? No. No. Okay. Interesting. Um, so you have a new project, mm-hmm. the Lehi's in Song, five sisters, one brother. What, what's what's that all about? Who should I
5: ask?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Who's the instigator? Well, that's a funny
5: question. Who is the instigator? It's not even the instigator. Over the years, as you mentioned, that with a family our size and from starting at this age and growing up. You go through all kinds of stages and phases and what have you. And We looked at each other and said, why? We have never done this. We have never taken this, as, as we say, take the spotlight and shine it on the vocal side of our life. Our mom um, sang as a young girl, like, and it would be in her church or it would be at the concerts, the local concerts, and singing was a, a really significant part of her life. I think when she had all of us, there wasn't, she didn't give as much time to her mm-hmm. singing. So um, we just kind of all said, this is something that we've never done before. We need to do this. And that is the motivation, I think. And so as a result, though, too, you start to look at, over the years, the bank of material that um, was sitting there and never brought to the mm-hmm. surface. And so we really want to do this. Together. So it's mostly
0: songs that you've written, not so much the fiddling and the step dancing. Although there's a little bit of that, a little
5: bit of that, and there always will be. Like that, it's in our bones. Mm-hmm. Like yes. it's, you know, mm-hmm. But but at, as um, was mentioned earlier, we have listened to so many different types of music and are influenced by them, and and so our songwriting can cover a wide yeah. range. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and lots of beautiful harmonies, as we just heard. Um, one last song that. You you co-wrote "Friend," mm. yeah. maybe Denise. Tell me about that song. That
5: song, it's it, it it This was one of the songs where it starts in one country, and you take it to another city, and another part gets written, and it kind of okay. evolved that way. And we all um, collaborated on the writing of this song, mm-hmm. and and obviously a reflection on "Friend." and friendship and the meaning of that. That's lyrically what it's about. And it was from a television show. It was a tribute show to, was it to B.B. King or something? Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder was singing a song, and and his comment was, I'm right here with you, friend. Mm -hmm. And I went, ah, that's beautiful. And so then I bounced it off of these ladies, and all of a sudden it came back in a form, like, and it's just the way it happened. Mm -hmm. And so this is a, I love this song. I really do, it's meaningful to me.
0: That was an excerpt of a conversation I had with Denise, Maria, and Aaron Leahy. You can learn more about them at their website, thelahys.ca. And to watch my full conversation with Maria, Denise, and Aaron, go to saltandlighttv.org catholicfocus. Here now are Denise, Maria, and Aaron Leahy with a song that they performed in studio for us, Friend. listening to Denise, Maria, and Aaron Leahy in our studio with their song Friend. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org. Hello and welcome to the Sultanite Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. It's impossible to go through a week without hearing about Syria in the news. But what we hear is not always good news. We hear about war, about terror, about persecution of minorities, refugees. But the reality is that it's not all bad news. There are stories of hope. To find out more, I spoke with Father Nauras Samour, National Director of Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. Here's an excerpt of our conversation since 2011 uh, when I think most of us started hearing about Syria that there is you know the uprising the the civil war can we call it a
6: civil war I called it a civil war yeah actually I have yeah now I'm I'm much more comfortable of of, tell, of saying that it's civil war than other things with with the international dimension as well
0: right the the figure that I have is that 200,000 Syrians have died. Officially, since twenty eleven, but you think the number is higher?
6: I would say, yes, it's higher than 20, 20, 20, 200,000 people like, killed, because those who are dis- who disappeared, mm-hmm. we don't have any news. Mm-hmm. Those who are, you know, kidnapped without any news, and those who killed without being ident- identified in somehow. Right. So. So you don't know.
0: Yeah. Now you live in Damascus now. Yeah how is living in
6: damascus today uh listen to daily life in damascus it's i mean if you go right now to damascus you see there's a traffic jam there are people going going to work It's going going to to work yeah 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 no problem with the difference of checkpoints you know some 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 roads are blocked uh, Mm -hmm. for different reasons especially for security reasons. and you could hear the aviation bombing somewhere airplanes you could hear fighting around right and in the city and yeah and the city there's no fighting some some areas of the cities yes Mm -hmm. besieged areas and Mm -hmm. there's fighting yes but you know the heart the downtown of damascus there's nothing it happen. it could happen that we could receive some mortars as well launched from the other part so the front line it's something from the heart of Damascus, the front line with the first area of fighting something like four kilometers, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. more. So you, we could hear everything, but life continues. Yeah. That's what I say, it's the phase two, the phase one of the events. I mean, everybody was scared. I mean, they are, we are stuck at home. We don't move at night and yeah. we avoid to go out. That's the first stage, the, the phase, first stage, the first, day, the first phase. Now the phase two. I mean, we go around, we don't care about tomorrow, and we we let's say we live the, the present moment. Yeah. The present moment. And somehow it's a fatalism yes. which is which is according to me dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous. I mean we don't care about the future. People have if it's gonna up. happen today, let's let, yeah. let it happened.
0: Yeah. I guess that's one of the effects of, of, of a war. Where people get used to it, and I mean, I've, I remember reading stories about Beirut when a, a car bomb would go off, and people would just check that it wasn't their car, and then they'd go to have their coffee exactly um, because they've just gotten so accustomed to it. Exactly not, the same. Yeah.
6: Exactly the same. I mean, that's 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 bad. Yeah. That's bad. Yes.
0: Now the work that you do with Jesuit Refugee Service. Tell us a little bit about the organization. It, it's, it's been around for 30, it's going to be
6: 35 years since 1980.
0: Yeah, exactly. What is the goal of the organization?
6: I mean, it started in 1980 with the boat people phenomenon, you know, from in, in Asia Pacific, uh, from, uh, yeah, that region. Uh, people coming from Vietnam, going to Thailand and to other countries at mm-hmm. the, at that region and it developed thanks to a letter sent by Father General at that time, Father Pedro, Pedro Arupe, who yes. sent a letter to all Jesuits from the, that region, telling them to welcome to those refugees and to help them, to do something mm-hmm. for helping them. And that was the first moment of the JRS Jesuit Refugee Service. Now it developed. Now we have 10 regions mm-hmm. all over the world, worldwide, uh, northern america latin america southern america and europe four regions in africa uh-huh. one in central asia one in asia pacific and the last one was the creation of uh, middle east and northern africa our region. that's right
0: and you were the director of that region exactly for, for the last four years or so
6: yeah and it started just to help iraqis so it started with the iraqi um, crisis yeah yeah in 2008 and then uh, because of the events in Syria it developed a lot now our region which is the last one and it was considered like the smallest one Uh it's the biggest region unfortunately because you have more refugees coming from that region I mean in terms of population serve we serve something like 35 percent of the Uh whole refugee community we serve Mm -hmm. in all over the world Mm -hmm. and in terms of budget we are the biggest budget in terms of the let's say, involvement of Jesuits, who are the biggest number of Jesuit working. And in terms of involvement of volunteers and uh, staff, we are the biggest number as well. Right. So that's it. And is your work, would you
0: say that the work is still uh, qualified as to welcome and to
6: serve the To accompany. To accompany, to, to accompany, exactly. And to serve and to advocate their own rights mm-hmm. as refugees this displaced people. So to accompany, it's about how it's n- we are not a machine, I mean, a supplier of services. We are people working with people, human beings working with human beings. Mm-hmm. So we are not a supplier of services. So it depends on the way of welcoming those people, the way of, uh, you know, just uh, taking them as people, human beings, suffer, in mm-hmm. suffering. Mm-hmm. So just to, to listen to them, to be empathic with them and somehow, that's the aim. What, who, whatever the service you could offer, the way of offering that service, that makes the difference.
0: So you, you might still provide the service, let's say giving them clothing, but
6: how you do it is different that's than... Exactly, it's about how to do things, not uh, what to do. Mm-hmm.
0: How is the threat of Islamic State, ISIS, affecting the whole situation
6: you know I mean it's it's something we could not tolerate I mean it's not acceptable at all to have such a powerful and attractive ideology Mm -hmm. in the 21st century which calls people to kill others who are not like them so why is it so attractive I don't know I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I can't understand. In, 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 in everyone, in each one of us, maybe there, there is a small grain of fundamentalism, mm-hmm. of uh, fanatism or whatever. But, you know, the, 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 the culture uh, calls us to, to just to, to befriend that grain and to be a social with others, In mm-hmm. you know, a sociable human being with others in the society to build together. Whereas for those people, it became a beast. It became, you know, just... Uh, right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not about only the right of minorities. They are against everybody. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they are against Muslims. They are against Christians. They are against different communities of Muslims. They are against everybody who's not like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For
0: Jesuit refugee service in Syria, what would you say is your greatest challenge right now?
6: For me, my biggest concern is security. Mm-hmm. I mean, working in a such condition of uncertainty—I mean, with, uh, I would say, randomly death daily—so mm-hmm. security of our staff, of our people, of our population serve thats the first concern, because death and uh, it could happen everywhere. I mean, wherever, for whomever, uh, whenever. Yeah. So that's my biggest, my biggest concern.
0: And so, uh, but you don't mean for your own staff, uh, as you mean in for, general? In
6: general, but especially but for especially my own, for staff, own staff, my own staff and my, my own. I mean, when it's about, I mean, you hear about mortars fallen in the area where we have centers for children and you call and you know that the half of children, they didn't reach yet our center. So you you are, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried. bit, yeah. Well, when we
0: hear about even priests or religious being kidnapped, like you, your targets as priests, that that must be something you lose We live have every lost day. as
6: Jesuit uh, six months yes. ago, seven yes. months ago, in in Old Homs. Yes, he was, uh, savagely killed, without any reason, and God knows, the way he worked for reconciliation and for being with with, mm-hmm. with his own people, without leaving the old city of Homs, yeah. the residence of Jesuit, yeah. to be in the service of everybody. Yeah.
0: Now, despite all of that, you have hope. That's how I started the program, saying that we had stories of hope. Um, And it's hard to focus on that, but we have to. So there must be stories every day, uh, families that you meet, people that you meet that give you hope. Tell us some of those.
6: Let me tell you two two things. Uh, In uh, Ramadan uh, 2012, that was the very uh, first uh, big fighting within Damascus. Mm -hmm. And we got... People around in the parks, you know, without shelters, without anything, and we went around with some of my of my of our volunteers, uh, bringing some something like eight hundred uh, falafel sandwiches, very uh-huh. popular, you know, yes. in Syria, just to distribute with some Jews. Yes. And when we were going around for distributing, I met a lady. Something she was something like seventy-five, with only two bags with cucumber and tomato coming uh-huh. to us saying that's my capacity to help so please accept that and she was a christian lady uh-huh. helping you know muslims during ramadan right another story it was the distribution of clothing the last christmas uh-huh. in 2013 and 14 yes. and distribute you know kids clothing kids for children something like 2000 children 100, 1 100 1500 children uh-huh from of something like 1,000 family, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we distribute. The last day of distribution, uh, we gave to two children with the mother, and it was the last day. The very next day, we received a visit from that family, children with new clothes, uh-huh. the mother and the father, with the handmade cake. And it was a Muslim family. Yes to wish us Merry Christmas. And to thank you, yes. So you see, those kind of stories, for me, it's a source of hope. To keep you going. And yeah, it's worthy to keep on, to to, to carry on and to continue our struggling for peace, I would say. Yes, and I guess
0: guess prayers are also good. So we will pray for you and we will do what we can to help the work that you do. Father Samur, it's been a great pleasure having you here. Thank Thank you you for the work that you do and, and come again.
6: Thanks, thanks. Thank you very much.
0: Father Naura Samur is the National Director for Jesuit Refugee Service in Syria. To find out more or to help, you can find out more about Jesuit Refugee Service at jrs.net. You can also watch my full conversation with Father Samur by watching Perspectives on Roku or on demand at saltandlighttv.org slash perspectives. Here now is our Featured Artist of the Week, Matthias Michael with Son of God and Son of Man from his album, I Believe.
4: caused my light to do. The wind is brought with fear and sin. The wind awakens me. I cry that drowned my heart for oh, years that generally
0: That was Matthias Michael with Son of God and Son of Man from his album, I Believe. For the last couple years, the National Catholic Youth Conference, NCYC, has hosted a music talent contest, NCYC's Top Talent. And the winner gets to record their own album, thanks to the support of the Buzz label. And we've spoken about this in this program and featured uh, many of those singers on this program. The winner of the very first NCYC's Top Talent... ...was a young man by the name of Matthias Michael. He's not so young anymore, and Matthias has developed into a singer-songwriter in his own right. And so we're very happy to be speaking with him today on our program. Matthias, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour.
7: Thanks so much, Deacon Pedro, for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: So I, I didn't want to make it sound like you're super old now, because you're still young... You're still, <laughs> um, that first album was, what, two, two years ago, two and a half years ago or so. What You were at NCYC as a participant. So tell me a little bit about what was it growing up. Were you always, you're in a Catholic family? Was it always, you know, a very faithful growing up in your home?
7: Yeah. Yeah, Mom and Dad taught us, you know, from the get-go. Um, everything is God-centered. They did a really good job of not, not really burning us out. Um, And, and, you know, in every way they could, they included, um, you know, the God Center of everything we did, be it sports, be it music, anything we did. um, It was all for the greater glory of God. And, uh, you know, um, I witnessed witnessed my my parents, you know, live that out every day. My dad was a a musician in the Army, and my my mom was a a school teacher. So Uh um, they just, they led by example, absolutely. Right. Uh,
0: uh, uh, Brothers, sisters?
7: Yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, right, and uh, we're all good products of that, I guess.
0: Uh, okay. we're all
7: very active and involved in our faith.
0: So, as a as an adolescent, you didn't go through a period of, uh, you know, this church thing just doesn't make any sense.
7: Yeah, that kind of actually came for me um, you know, towards the end of high school and college. You know, I never mm-hmm. necessarily completely strayed away from the church. But I was hit with a lot of tough situations. You know, I had a pretty easy growing up, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, I didn't go through anything profound, I didn't have um too many huge struggles. I was a really regular kid. Mm-hmm. So the first time I ever met some, some real struggles, you know, just uh adjusting to college life, being away from home and my family and my good friends, went through a big yeah. breakup and you know yeah. all those things kinda crashed down on you at once and you don't know how to handle them. Yeah. Um, so that was my kind of first um I guess life challenge and a lot of a lot of music arose in that. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate for, you know, finding, finding the light in the darkness and, and for me, music was that and, uh, Uh going through those, um, struggles, you know, late high school, early college, that kind of, um, inspired me to write more music. You know, this was a little bit after I believe. So that's kind of where Song of Grace came in.
0: No, and that's good. It's those moments that, that strengthen our faith and also, like you say, make us better artists. Um, so, uh, when did you start writing music or writing songs?
7: journaled since i was real little yeah. um since elementary school i always kept a journal of some sort um mm-hmm. and that kind of transformed um, i guess my passion for music and my passion for writing kind of um naturally kind of came together yeah. um so when i was in i guess middle school the earliest i got my first um laptop and i remember getting on garage band and you know putting some tracks together yeah. and that really excited me so they, like i said the two kind of naturally came together i but the journal with the with the with the music writing so that was that was probably in middle school at some point
0: so when you were at ncyc that year that you ended up entering the the contest and and winning was that did you participate in the contest with one of your own songs
7: yep yep it's uh is actually on the album
0: yeah and
7: um, it, it's but yeah it's called pick me up today
0: right okay yes and then the songs so once you won i guess the the opportunity to record your own album did you have a lot of the songs or was the song songwriting part of that process with with sal solo and the Buzz label
7: yeah i was still really really figuring out the whole songwriting thing uh, it was nothing i did super seriously
2: yeah um,
7: the song i won with was was essentially a prayer that i just wrote down and um, my mom was trying to convince me to do this contest thing and I was reluctant, yeah. but I ended up doing it anyway. So I took that prayer that I wrote down. it's really poetic. Yeah. and I just put some guitar chords over it and that was my first real um, I don't know songwriting on the spot, I guess. yeah. So when I won the competition, it was that all over again. It was like, all right, time to put out an album And it was like, oh man. I've never really, you know, uh, developed a whole bank of songs. So it was really a learning process for me. That whole album was, um,
0: uh-huh, you know, my
7: first step into those waters. And Sal was a really big help to me yes. throughout all that. You know, we, we wrote a lot of the songs. Um, and mm. he, you know, showed me the ropes, if you will. Since then, I've kind of branched off and, uh, I guess matured a little bit. Um, yeah. and again, Song of Grace is, is really a, a model for that. Um, uh, kind of a taste of what's
0: to come. Yeah, right. And Song of, so of Races is your new single. I want to get to that in a second. So Sal Solo and I are good friends. He's been on the show many times. And, and so his, the Buzz Label is dedicated to helping young Catholic singer-songwriters develop not just as songwriters, as performers, but also as ministers. So do you find that, you, that that's where you want to go with your life uh, in terms of doing music ministry or, or the music that you do as ministry?
7: Yeah. Um, as I mentioned before, my songs are really um when it comes down to it, the prayers. Yeah. Um, and I feel like my passion in life is, is sharing these prayers, um, with with young people, um and older people alike. Um, my big, you know, mission is to, to go out and spread the word of God through these prayers, through these songs. Right. Um, so that's that's the direction I'm kind of going in now. And are
0: you in college still right now?
7: Um, I did a year of college at Mount Saint Mary's University. Um and that was actually the year I was making um I believe I was doing that uh-huh. and throughout that process I figured out that I couldn't juggle both. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I had to kinda of go all, yeah. all in. Um, so uh after a lot of prayer and discernment, um I decided that, that God wanted me to take that leap of faith and um I started doing ministry and music full-time, and there's been really no looking back since then.
0: So that's what you're doing now. So, Song of Grace, tell us about that song and how that came about.
7: Yeah, Song of Grace. Um, Like I mentioned, after I Believe, I kind of went through this big transition period in in my life, Um, just going through some struggles that I've never gone through before, and from that, a lot of, uh, the biggest fruit was a lot of new music. You know, it's been real late nights, and the University Chapel just yeah. gotten away, just kind yeah. of put all my feelings on paper, and Fall of Grace was one of those. Um, so um, it, it's essentially a, a prayer of, of surrender. You know, I think, um, especially nowadays in this generation, we fail to really just be sometimes, just to take some quiet time and to just listen.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, we're always
7: we're always yakking. Um, I'm guilty of it, too. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Song of Grace is really an encouragement uh, for people to to kind of just open their ears and, and silence their minds for just a little bit every day, um, and surrender to God in that way.
0: Right. So, and we're going to play Song of Grace at the end of the program. So, um, just before we do that, uh, you're uh, you're doing ministry. You're 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 doing speaking engagements. You're uh, writing music. So, are you working on a new album? Is something coming down the pipes?
7: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We just um, actually finished up another song uh, last week, which will be used as the the theme song for uh, an organization called Catholic Art Work Camp. Um, oh, really? This year's, yep, this year's theme song. Um, we just got done with it. Um, nice. So that will be included on the album that's soon to come. Um, we're still kind of feeling around for a release date, but we're definitely uh, in the works on a new album.
0: Okay, nice. So make sure if there are any other singles, you send them this way and we'll play them. Um, so, new album in the works, uh, lots of uh, ministry plans. Uh, it's been great speaking to you, Matthias, uh, uh, meeting you, I guess, over the, over the air. Uh, yeah, totally. Keep doing what you're doing.
7: Thank you very much.
0: You can learn more about Matthias Michael at his website mmichaelmusic.com we're going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily and here now is that song that we were just speaking about Matthias Michael's new single Song of Grace
4: Let me fall on you when I am weak when the world is brought me to my knees there's nothing that this voice can speak These tears are my surrender I've built a house on broken ground Oh ashes, ashes, it all falls down My walls are shattered at the sound Of my father calling me home Father, wash my red hands Make them pure like you are, oh Lord I love you Standing between you and the path I'm supposed to choose. Wake me up and knock me down. Let the song of grace out We're
0: listening to Matthias Michael with his new single Song of Grace, and that concludes this special edition of the Salton Light Hour. Remember to visit us at Saltonlight slash radio and write to me at Deacon Pedro GM. Thanks for listening.
4: I have to There's nothing that I have to prove I'm giving all my pride to you This love is meant for more than holding on to Father, wash my red hands Make them pure like you are I love Everything is yes, out love.